Welcome, fellow traveller, to the Tent Talks podcast, where we fight bad ideas with good ideas. Join Dr. Stephen Backhouse and friends as we pursue the renewing of our theological, social, and political imagination. From time to time, churches and other groups hire me as a tent theologian to act as a sort of consultant, helping them think Christianly about whatever it is they're going through. St. Luke's Church in London hired me a few months ago to go through the Sermon on the Mount with them, and I recorded a series of conversations with the Vicar John and with other guests who came and joined our conversation from time to time. They were kind enough to allow these recordings to be released on the podcast. I hope you enjoy hearing them as much as we enjoyed making them. great to welcome a good friend of mine, Dr. Stephen Backhouse, to the call, but a very, very warm welcome to you for Dig Deeper as we look at season two on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Stephen, do you have uh, one of the versions of the Bible? Yeah, I've got, I've got the uh, David Bentley Hart one that we like. Yeah. So are we doing Matthew 5 to, from where to where? Well, we are going to begin this time at the beginning, unlike last week, where we began at the end. And then we jumped to Matthew 4 as well. Well, we looked at Matthew 4, we looked at, you know, all kinds, yeah, Matthew 4, Matthew 7, anything actually apart from the Sermon on the Mount. That's the way I like to roll anyway, so, okay. Well, I tell you what, I felt felt really, um, I was preparing my talk for this Sunday, actually, um, and I felt really, um, uh, what's the word, um, approved of by the theologians um, out there when Scott McKnight in his commentary oh, yeah. on, on the Sermon on the Mount. It's brilliant. I love Scott McKnight's stuff. And uh, he, he also begins his whole commentary with the end. He does. This one probably you're thinking of. Yes. Yeah. Snap. Yeah. Very good. And um, I, I tell you what, this is such a good commentary. Yeah. So yeah. helpful. Um, but I loved it because I kind of was flipping to the bit that I'm preaching on this week and I flipped past. I thought, I wonder how he begins. And he begins with the end. And I felt does. very, does. very he, approved of building a building your house on this foundation. Yeah, exactly right. Why? Why do we listen to these teachings in the first place? And uh, and that's what we've got here. So, yeah, Matthew, we're going to we're going to cover the Beatitudes. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter five and we're going to go all the way through to verse 16. So okay. it, in our sec- unless unless uh, Stephen, you're going to throw another curveball and say it shouldn't end there. Really, that's just the redactors. You're going to do that right. to me today? No, we'll st- we'll start it. We'll read to sixteen just for you, just today, just because I like. We'll, we'll keep to the uh, editors. Um, All right. Uh, chapter five, uh, verse one. Now, seeing the crowds, he ascended the mountain, and when he seated himself, his disciples approached him, and opening his mouth, he taught them, saying. How blissful the destitute, abject in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heavens. How blissful those who mourn, for they shall be aided. How blissful the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. How blissful those who hunger and thirst for what is right, for they shall feast. How blissful the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. How blissful the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How blissful the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. How blissful those who have been persecuted for the sake of what is right, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How blissful you 
when they reproach you and persecute you and falsely accuse you of every evil for my sake. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is in the heavens is great. But thus they persecuted the prophets before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should become insipid, by what shall it be made salty? It is no longer of any use, except to scatter outside for people to tread upon. You are the light of the world. A city set upon a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do they light a lamp and place it under the dry goods basket, but rather they place it upon a lampstand, and it illuminates all who are in the house. So let your light shine before humanity, so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Yeah, so the more observant of you will know that that's quite a significant chunk. A whole months have been going given over to in, in churches his in sermon series just to the beatitudes um but we decided to cover them uh, in one week yeah. <laughs> as well as the salt and light passage so stephen where, where should we start well you probably uh let's i know we don't need to rehash it too much but let's just remind ourselves that the crowds that he sees when he ascends the mountain that's the we already talked about that last week which is all the it's people that we've just been told are from many different walks of life, social classes and nationalities. And uh, they're all the people, if you go read Matthew four, you'll see all the people that call, are called the crowds. And then they yeah. are the ones here. And they, also there's the idea that the kind of, not all the dregs, but they're, they, uh, some of the great and the good are joining the dregs of society in front of Jesus. So it's, it's not a, um, an elite crowd so any elite person in this crowd is there kind of joining with a whole lot of other people and we are told what kind of people they are when jesus talks about the poor that's the kind of crowd in front of them it's the flotsam and jetsam kind of people it's not he's not starting a revolution with the brightest and the best put it that way i can't help in the back of my head whenever i hear this passage read is to have the life of brian in the back of my head yeah right cheesemakers yeah yeah blessed are the who that's in the cheesemakers. Oh, the meek. I'm glad they're getting something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they've had a hell of a time. They've had a hell of a time. <laughs> um, Speak oh. up. <laughs> so, he, so those are the crowds. And then he ascends. He goes up to a mountain, right? And this is a classic thing in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus is presented as a type of Moses. This is the classic thing. You'll notice if you read Luke, Jesus doesn't go up on a mountain. If anything, in fact, he kind of goes to a level place. So you already see like the editor. I mean, it's possible to go up a mountain and then a plateau, right? So it is possible to go uphill and then go to a level place. Yeah. That is true. But you also, there's something going on here. Matthew is very deliberately in more than just this place. He portrays yeah. Jesus as a type of Moses. And this is another example. He's like any moment he can to kind of, identify jesus with moses he takes that chance yeah yeah because of his audience of course because it was he was primarily writing to a jewish audience yeah and what's happened is this is going to become clear as we keep going but um that jesus is giving a new rule for the new people of god mm -hmm. and the people of god already had a rule and they had set prayers so jesus is going to replace like the set prayers that traditional jewish people would have jesus gives them a new set prayer what it means to be merciful or generous jesus gives them a new yeah. way of doing it right yeah so he's kind of replacing it's not an utter replacement because he's as we're going to see he says i'm not i'm not destroying the law i'm fulfilling it yeah but it's like he's giving his new people a new rule of life to replace 
yeah they would have had before yeah 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 that as a as a sneak preview to next week and sunday uh, that's the bit i was preparing actually the the uh, abolish the law and um i didn't come to a, a, abolish it but fulfill it and and um scott mcknight was brilliant on how on how you really engage with that as a as a thing but that's a sneak preview for next time yeah i mean yeah, you're probably gonna. Th- I I I've been influenced by Scott McKnight as well, so I'm I'm sure we'll start to. We hadn't now. You see, we hadn't had that conversation before. To you know, that's um, that's not something that we planned in advance to have the books ready to hand like that. But yeah, it's a good. It's a that's a really good book. That one. Yeah. The other one I've um, found really helpful is Divine Com- Con- Divine Conspiracy. Dallas Willard. That's Dallas a- Willard, hmm. which is you know a, a foremost classic. But here we are, good. and we're we're. We got the crowd and uh, he goes up onto a mountain. So, you know, he got the illusions with with Moses. There's a new era emerging. And again, there seems to be this kind of correlation as well between not just Jewish figures, but Jewish history echoes of, you know, it's this kind of the new exodus and the new this and the new that things that people would be familiar with throughout that. What about these Beatitudes then? What are we to make of them? They're, they're not very famous. You, what do you think of this word? Bl- uh, so my translation said blissful. Yeah, how blissful, yeah. What does yours say? Mine also says blissful. I don't have, um, actually, Sean, I have to say. Shout out to Sean. She's still got my N.T. Wright copy. So uh, <laughs> uh, I'll have that back at some point, Sean, if that's all right. Um, but uh, my NIV that I've got in front of me, as well as the uh, David Bentley Hart that you've got, just says, blessed, blessed are the poor. Yeah, blessed. It's funny, I don't, yeah, anyway, I mean, Bentley Hart chooses that word, I don't know why. The the word is Mac, Mac I mean, Makarios or Makaros? I can't. I'm not. I don't pronounce Greek, but and it's and it gets translated as blessed, uh, sometimes happy, which mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of people don't actually like. The, a lot of translators don't like the word happy because it it it's it, it gives you connotations of an emotional state. When Jesus, the word Makarios isn't about the emotional state. It's about. I actually quite like the word blessed because yeah, it's like he's um. He's pronouncing that the life in front of him is a good life. Yeah. So he's, it, it's like a, the kind of word that maybe, a, well, that God would use. Yeah. God is the one who blesses people. And you know, Jesus yeah. is the one who's saying, like, you're meek, you're humble, you're the dregs of society, you're being persecuted, you're poor. I'm going to pronounce you blessed. Mm. Right. So it's like a judgment he's making over a group of people rather yeah. than. He's not saying if you if you become poor, then you will be blessed. Like mm. it's not a job. He's not saying if you do this, then you will be blessed. Yeah. He's looking at the people in front of him and he's saying, You are blessed right now. Yeah. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And uh, the other word that I feel like I've heard in the past is the word honored. Oh. Um, uh, on- honored are those. And there's this kind of uplifting almost that God does. Um, because they're the very people when you look down the list that you would not expect yeah. to be uplifted. And yeah. um, this is kind of an honoring, particularly in a, it, we talked before in um, the series that we did before on Mark's gospel, this honor and shame culture. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. It would be like elevating people that wouldn't normally be thought of as, yeah. as elevated and they wouldn't think of themselves as being elevated either. So. Well, particularly because we even use it colloquially in our language, don't we, about, oh, it's, you know, I try and resist it because I always feel like it's a bit of an odd thing anyway. But, you know, I had such a good day today. It was so blessed. Or, yeah, right. you know, I felt That's blessed when somebody, you know, I found a car park space. God bless yeah. me. Yeah, and yeah, 
you know, I don't want to go down that because that can end up in a kind of rabbit war and a you know, I don't want to go down that conversation. But, but, um, but that sense of which those those that that Jesus is describing here by their descriptions, they would not be the people that anyone thought anyone had blessed. They, no. they, were, they were the dishonorable. They were they were the people that, well, <laughs> you know, if you've been persecuted, you must have done something for it. You know that kind of thing. You know, it's that. Yeah. And and also, I mean, obviously, because this is the kind of guy I am, I'll just remind people I'm a political theologian. Yeah. And that there's a lot here about, you know, you've got to think about this is the, this is like the, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not the constitution, but the manifesto for a new movement here. Yeah. So it's like Jesus is saying, I'm going to start my movement with you guys. And so there's a sense that he's, it's not just kind of individually like, oh, I'm going to bless your life individually. It's like, no, this is what I'm, I've chosen you to be my people. Yeah. Right. Because you remember, this is about the formation of a new people, a new rule for a new people. And he's like, I've chosen you. Yeah. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to bless you. Like, I pronounce you blessed. It's not, I'm going to make your life happy because that's clearly not going to happen. It's, I pronounce the life you're leading right now as the one that I have favored. Seems to me that um, a lot of these beatitudes, uh, just as a side note, where do we get the word beatitude from? You know, I don't really know. Yeah, it's the... I feel like, I, I feel like this is just showing my... um. Uh, lack of good memory, but Colin, I think, spoke about it on, on Sunday, oh. what Beatitude was. Um, but um, anyway, we'll park that because neither oh. one of us have knowledge right now on that. Yeah, so this is the Beatitude. I don't know quite know why it's called. A be oh, yeah. Beatification, so, that's right. Because So, so the, the, when you're beatified, yeah. when you are uh, like turned into a saint or you're blessed, you're, it's a, okay. it's, it's, it's the it's the it's the activity of being blessed or being okay. brought into the yeah elevated to sainthood right yeah so the beatitudes here is when Jesus is conferring some kind of status upon the meek the humble the poor yeah etc so 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 one of the things that you know a lot of these are actually quite in some ways easy to understand harder to live out of course you know as often the way Jesus easier to say than to do yeah. Um, exactly. But the first, the first is an interesting phrase, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. It feels to me like that's quite ambiguous. You know, is it, is it a sense of someone who's downhearted or is it more than that? How, how would you approach that verse? Yeah, it's, it has to do more with your resources. So Luke, famously, the gospel of Luke doesn't have in spirit. It just yeah, has. Okay, interesting. Uh, but they use the same word and it's trochos. Again, I'm not pronouncing it correctly, but it's, um, p-t-o-c-h-o-s so trochos <laughs> but i've heard some people and i don't know if this is true even if it's not true it should be so i'll take this with a grain of salt but i've heard some people describe it as like it then it's the word for a poor person but it, it itself comes from the sound you make when you are gathering spit to spit on the ground so like trochos and the idea is that it's the name is the kind of colloquial term for a poor person which sounds like you're spitting hmm. because they're so uh, despised. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So this is the, this is the word. Now Jesus isn't spitting at a poor person. He's using the word for this yeah. class of type of person. And one of the things about the tokos is that they were the, the poor of the land who didn't know where their resources, they had no resources for the next day. They, uh, they were living hand to mouth. Yeah. So that was the tokos. They were the kinds of people that, I mean, they weren't, re they weren't storing up in barns. Jesus will tell some parables about people who store up in barns. 
they didn't have any provision for the next day they they had to live again the daily bread give us today our daily bread is a mm. phrase we're going to meet soon yeah yeah that was the chokos they needed to live day by day so when jesus says blessed are the poor in spirit so when again remember like jesus might have been saying this sorts of things in different places yeah. so maybe sometimes he said poor maybe sometimes he said poor in spirit I, it, he's not he's not the opposite he's not matthew isn't spiritualizing something that luke had as just physical okay it's the same description which is blessed are the people who don't have any reason who don't have the the resources to get them through to the next day so when you're poor in spirit you're somebody who knows i don't have what it takes i, I can't do this on my own that your that your physical poverty seems to impact your sense of being which it I, does we know that we know that to yeah. be true yeah i can't get through the day i mean yeah. is that a, is that a spiritual practice or a physical practice like it's the same thing right it's yeah just, yeah i can't do it i don't have what it takes and jesus talks about them now there's an interesting parallel here because a lot of chokos type people it's almost like a social class or it's like a it's like we would say you know there's poor people and then there's homeless people right like we we in english have the ability to describe the difference between different levels yeah of poverty. yeah that's true abject homelessness yeah is different than oh i'm living i'm living below the poverty line or yeah so the Tokos are this kind of people who don't have like what it takes to get through the next day. And they're always relying on the mercy of, of other people. And um, interestingly, there was a kind of a group of religion, the kind of religious angle of the Tokos were another group you'd call the Anawim. And the Anawim were people who lived off of the mercy of the temple. Okay. So they would always be hanging around the temple they didn't have like jobs. They didn't have any savings. They just lived off the mercy of the temple and they were mm -hmm. Anawim and they were associated with the kind of attitude of like devotion to the temple and like waiting for the temple to, for Israel to be redeemed. They were almost like holy beggars, yeah. right? Who would live, who would live in the temple. They would just be kind of waiting. They would be praying and they'd be waiting for the Israel to be redeemed. And that's all they would do. They weren't, they weren't working. They were just kind of there to be like prayerful presence. Yeah. Two of them are Simeon and Anna. Yeah. Who we meet in Luke's gospel. Yeah. And they're, they're hanging around the temple and then Joseph and Mary show up and they recognize, see, they're the poor in spirit waiting for their redemption. They see Jesus and they say, ah, oh, he's the one who's going to redeem. Yeah. Wow. Um, so Matthew doesn't have that story, but Simeon and Anna are, poor in spirit as well wow. that's just a little connection <laughs> there's like there's kind of lots of ripples here of, of yeah of the type of people that jesus is saying hey you know those people they're my people yeah yeah and so um is there anything that ties these uh categories of people together is it is it is it random in some ways or what are these kind of groups of people that other would otherwise be ignored uh, we've already kind of touched on that in the sense yeah. they are the excluded ones well, it's all to do, one of the common threads, that's a really good question, actually. I've never been asked that before. Uh, and But I think the answer is something like they're all people who are not, I've used this for, for Mark a lot, actually. These are all people who are not clutching tightly to their own rights. They're not availing themselves. They're not living a period, uh, uh, an attitude towards the world of like gathering as much as they can and then holding on to it, right? They're not fighting for their own rights. 
They're not storing things up. They're not seeking vengeance. They're not trying to avail themselves of whatever it takes to get what's coming to them. Yeah. Yeah. And so Jesus is that, and we can, we're going to see this, this is the theme, but so for example, but he always uses, he actually uses kind of socio-political language for them. So he's like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the ones who aren't taking care of, like storing things up for themselves, who aren't living a life of constantly uh, amassing and hoarding and defending themselves. Blessed are the poor in spirit for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. I'm going to start my movement with you not with the people that you would if you were going to start a movement you'd normally start with the people who are really good at yeah. getting what's rightfully theirs and yeah. killing their enemies and taking it right and jesus is like i'm going to start my movement with the people who are not doing that yeah yeah and then yeah. and then he's going to keep going right he's going to talk about the mourning the gentle or the meek they're not the ones who are like fighting to to get what they think is rightfully theirs but they're going to inherit it anyway. Yeah. Um, the merciful are not people who are, who are trying to have justice no matter what. Yeah. They're, they're willing to waive justice for the sake of mercy. And he mm -hmm. said, you are going to be blessed because you're going to have that shown to you as well. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It, every dichotomy is always something to do kind of with, think of like what you would take to what the world would say you need to to start a successful movement jesus is saying he's taking the opposite yeah type. yeah because it's i think it's interesting when you read these because you know most christians want to be blessed <laughs> yes yeah. christians want to live a blessed life and in some ways understandably that, that you know when you look at it like a manifesto you kind of think, well, what do I need to be blessed? Okay, I need to be poor in spirit. Right, I'll go and do that. And it becomes this kind of tick list. Like a job. Yeah. Yeah, like this. is, But it feels to me like he, he's saying it to people who, for whom this isn't something that you can achieve. No. This is something that you are. Yeah. And, but is there anything that, for those of us that may not call ourselves poor in spirit, because right. actually life, life has worked out okay in that regard for us. But is there something that, is a challenge to us or is it just to say in this topsy-turvy kingdom the place that you might feel that you have your seat at the table which you're used to having as a place of privilege yeah because of your wealth because of your education because of the color of your skin even you know those places of privilege actually you are you need to watch as as i favor others actually there's a yeah, favoritism i think, I here. think it's that i think it is that I, I, there is a there is a, a there's a judgment here. Jesus is the rightful judge, and J Jesus is saying, of all the groups of, of options out there of ways to live, this is the way to live that I am affirming. So if you're not living this way, pay attention. Yeah. Right. So it's not like it, it, it's not like a kind of a you must mourn. It's not like a I've described it not as a, a prescription of how to get into the kingdom of heaven. It's a yeah. description of the kinds of people that are in the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. So he's not prescribing it. He's not saying, if you do this, then you will. He's saying, yeah. the people who are part of my movement look like this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's a way to kind of not let people like us despise the, the people who are not go-getters or yeah. rich or wealthy or powerful. And, actu and actually, it's much harder for us. Yeah. 
because there's an extra hurdle for us because we have to well we need to know what it's like to be poor in spirit or we need to know you know yeah actually in some ways and and i think this is true actually it's often the people with privilege that find it hardest to find find god but this is what jesus says it's easier for how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven that's what he said he yeah. tells you directly. He doesn't say the rich will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, look how hard it is. Yeah. It's so much harder because you have to unlearn and unclench yourself from so many things. You're not poor in spirit when you're rich. Yeah. You literally do know where your bread is coming from the next day. Yeah. You're tempted to invest all of your emotion and your energy into that rather than into yeah. living in the moment. Yeah. I remember when I was in... um. Uh, a trip to see the work that, that Tear Fund are doing out in um, Uganda. Okay. And I was out in the middle of nowhere. And the Sunday worship in this village, everybody came on Sunday. And um, and it was, you know, classic, you know, long service. But a big part of it was the, off- the offering. Okay. And um, the offering, and it wasn't a prosperity offering. It was just the offering. Okay. And, um, and it was so moving to see these men and women come forward with what you could obviously tell was literally the first fruits and vegetables wow from from yeah. the land they'd literally just picked them and that was their offering first fruits first fruits in every sense of the word wow and um in a situation where i imagine that that could have been for as much as i knew that could have been a day's meal or a week's income i don't know I don't know what that would have translated right. to, but but there's this sense in which they they were poor, even by you know even if you kind of contextualize their poverty, as it were, yeah, um, and not contextualize it in a kind of necessarily global sense, but in a localized sense, they were still poor, yeah, yeah. and yet they were not poor in spirit. They were so generous. They were overwhelmingly wanting to make an offering to God, not because the pastor kind of has manipulated it, but because they are so grateful to god um, but poor in spirit doesn't mean miserable no so those people are poor in spirit you said they weren't but i think they are poor in spirit because they were giving generously no i know i think they were poor in spirit i guess what i'm saying is yeah. um it was clear that that was not it was not an obstacle to them to meet to meet god like what you were saying is that essentially for those of us who have it all actually it's harder to let go of things yeah yeah so the people who can who aren't like trying to defend themselves against the future yeah they're the the people who aren't doing that they're the poor in spirit yeah and yet the ones who i have observed who fit that kind of description as it were much more trusting much more open to the things of god than than i am for sure so there is a sense of like well you're blessed when you don't when you're not tempted to think that you are the master of your own universe and that you are your best you are the best provision for yourself um you're actually blessed it's actually better for you yeah you know which is why which is why i've often said this and and i i do say this like it's not true that god wants you to be rich (laughs) that's not true um there is a difference like and a lot of christians especially sort of on the charismatic end of things and certainly in the ones that's um affected by like american pentecostalism is like you know um God wants you to be rich. Like, no, actually. Yeah. Being rich is hoarding up. Being rich is when you have more than enough. Yeah. Keeping your goods out of circulation. 
Yeah, that is not it's a blessing. Not good for anybody. It's yeah. not good for you or for anybody, right? So yeah, yeah. So we've had a question coming, which is great to see yeah. that someone said, um, "Can you talk about those who hunger and thirst for justice?" I've got it: hunger and thirst for righteousness. Here, I don't know what your uh, translation says. Uh, um, yeah. um, hunger and thirst for what is right, for they shall feast. Yeah. So again, they're going to be the people who are. This is from within the context of Sermon on the Mount, the social political context is that it's the people who are waiting to be justified. Like, I think a lot of this is, they're the ones who are waiting for, for the God's people to be redeemed and set right. Um, they're living under Roman occupation, right? They're living in lands that are not, that are not pure or that are subjected to hostility. And so they are waiting for, for righteousness. So the word righteousness there or justice is just God's way. So they're waiting for God's way to be followed. Um, the acts of righteousness are just the acts of obedience to God. Mm -hmm. And we're going to meet them later on. Mm -hmm. So blessed are you who hunger and thirst for, for righteousness. So you, you're going to get what you want. Like it's a, a proclamation that the kingdom is here. It's related to the blessed are the poor in spirit because yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who are hunger and thirsting for God's way to be followed, which is another way of describing the kingdom of God, right? Mm -hmm. Where people say yes to God. Blessed are you who are waiting for the situation in which people can say yes to God and be righteous because it's here. You're going to feast. Mm -hmm. So it's like a, it isn't, and, I, and I, listen, I, I actually do think I like, justice language like i'm not against it but it's not so much um it's not so much a, a proclamation of people who are like social justice campaigners it's not so much those kind of people it's more the people who are currently being subjected to violence and they're waiting for their redeemer right yeah you saying blessed are you who are waiting for the world to be put back to rights because it's happened. That's helpful. So we have this, do you know much about the form? You know, it was written here in um, kind of almost poetic form. I don't know whether that's deliberate, whether it's, whether Matthew's trying to make a point here about whether it's kind of akin to the 10 commandments in, in some ways. Oh, I'm sure there's some very elaborate and deliberate form here. Which well, I not, and also not all of it is in that form. No, right, yeah, it's, so, it's like a little kind of uh, poem. I don't know, I don't know the answer to all those questions. It's before. interesting how it switches though, isn't it? There must be a reason yeah. for that. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it, in a way, it kind of is a standalone. Like, you know how the Sermon on the Mount is, is a collection of sayings of Jesus put together in one place, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and the, the, the Beatitudes are, they do kind of stand alone and it's probably legitimate to think of them that way. It's not at all impossible to think of him as, as using this as his opening every time he shows up yeah and yeah. Uh, and and it doesn't necessarily have to be the whole sermon that comes after it you can just kind of have that by itself right yeah it's, it's probably all right that pe that a lot of people tend to spend weeks just on the yeah uh one thing that people have pointed out is that the blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven in a way is everything else following the next three chapters five six and seven is just an elucidation of that one verse so in some ways you could sum up the whole sermon on the mount as blessed are the poor in spirit for wow. your kingdom of okay heaven. yeah 
And there's a lot here about persecution. Um, his his uh, final two um, beatitudes. Oh, can we, uh, before we go on, because I because yeah. Sean has just written a, a a comment. So so the comment was like, what about people who are privileged people who are seeking after justice? Is this what is this verse directed at them? And I suggested it wasn't quite suggested at the social justice campaigners. It wasn't directed at the social justice campaigners in the context of the original listeners of the Sermon on the Mount, right? But it is directed at people today of like, ask yourself, are you hungering and thirsting for God's way to be manifest on earth? If you're not, what's wrong with you? You need to start to be like someone who is thirsting for that. But it's a, and if you think about it, it's actually an attitude of empathy. So we might mm. often think of kind of, um, uh, you know, stereotypical, I'm really being really stereotypical, but the stereotypical kind of social justice campaigner on Instagram, privileged person just sort of t- mashing the like button instead of actually doing anything from their place of privilege. They're just kind of, you know, I'm trying to avoid phrases I hate, like virtue signaling, but you know what I mean? Like they're just, they're just, social Instagram, social media campaigners. And they, but to be a, to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to ask you to have empathy for people who are, to put yourself in the place of people who are actually being oppressed, right? It's more than just to kind of want things to be, to be right and finding, um, finding causes to, to campaign for. It's to actually empathize, to actually live with, because event we're going the next one is uh, mourn with those who mourn right or it's connected to that so like it's an identification with the people who hunger and thirst for righteousness that we're being asked to to have uh, in exactly the same way we're being asked to identify if you don't think you're poor in spirit then identify with poor in learn what it is to be poor in spirit if you're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness learn what it is to be the kind of person who really is needs God's way to be manifest on earth. So it's a call for uh, empathy and identification with it's again, it's that kind of, yeah. Uh, um, uh, identification with the marginal, not just um, pressing the like button. When somebody yeah, yeah. In a moment, I want to talk about the persecution because he takes up quite a bit of, of that. Uh, um, yeah. But, but actually I'd love to know what is our posture he talked about empathy just now. Is that fundamental? It's not. It seems to me that our posture is not just empathy in in those two verses that you just mentioned now about mourning and um, thirsting after justice. Uh-huh. Feels to me that as I read this, then if I don't identify as somebody necessarily who is poor in spirit or meek or whatever else, then my role is to essentially do what Jesus seemed to do, which is to prefer or to empathize with. Yeah. To, I just wonder how what it is we do with that, because it one one way of doing that is to say, well, I'm going to try and do my best to be mer- uh, be merciful. I'm going to be do my best to be pure in heart or to be a peacemaker. Or you know, the act active is to go after the thing that Jesus describes in order to get the blessing, as it were. Right. That's one way of doing it. The other yeah. way to do it is to say, well, no, these if it's a descriptor rather than a prescriptor, that when the person who walks into church or into any community of faith where they are quite recognizably poor in spirit or they are mourning or they actually is to say today i'm going to prefer them 
I'm going to honour them yeah. in this space. That that is my job is to do the uplifting, as it were, and not in a patch. I, I know a lot. There's a lot of conversation as well about empowering because that suggests that I'm the one giving away the power, and again, that has a kind of kind of paternalistic feel to it. But I guess what I'm saying is, is when someone walks in, is to say, actually, I'm going to prefer. I'm going to give more attention to them. I'm going to honour them. I don't know what your feeling is about what our action is when we read this. Well, there's two things. First of all, I'd say, yeah, you're right. That is definitely one way. That's one of the one of the the ways we put this into action, right? It's like a, a kick up our own backside to say, are you look around? Like who who's the poorest person you know right now? Who's the person who's the most mourning right now? Who's the person who's the most gentle? Like everybody in their life, you have somebody in your life who's the poorest person you know right now. You have somebody in your life who's the most humble person you know. Like, you have that. Everybody does. And so, in a sense, it's kind of a reminder of, like, look to them. Give them your attention. Let's see what happens when that happens. So it is a kind of a reminder to put your focus onto those people. Yeah. Jesus says there's something good about that. Like, there's something good about being with those people and being those kinds of people. Which yeah. Pay attention. Yeah. The other thing I would, I'm going to point out is that this, the Beatitudes, the rest is the Sermon on the Mount, right? Like, there's more that's going to come. And I would like to suggest to you that if you actually took the Sermon on the Mount seriously, not as some individualistic abstract idea, but as an actual rule of life, if you actually don't kill your enemies, if you actually don't do what it takes to, like, you know, defeat your enemies in court, if you're actually living some of these ways that he says, we're going to look at it in a second. Well, in a few days time, if you actually live by not taking public oaths, when he says, do not, do not give oaths, he's not talking about private promises. He's talking much more about things like we would recognize today as like the uh, pledge of allegiance to the American flag or the, when you had to give an oath to the queen as an Anglican. I did. Jesus says, don't do that. <laughs> but the kind of oaths that he's saying to do they were public oaths to kind of prove your good standing in public and jesus says don't do that now if you take him seriously you will find society mistrusts you wants to take advantage of you will call you a traitor you won't be very patriotic you won't be a winner in that world and you will start to look like someone who is mourning, who is persecuted, okay. who is humble. Okay. By following the Sermon on the Mount, you become the people that he's saying. It's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I liked about um, Scott McKnight's um, thoughts on it is that he grounds the Sermon on the Mount in what he calls the Jesus Creed. I mean, there's a book that he's written called The Jesus Creed anyway, okay. which is a verse, of course, when Jesus is asked, which of these are the greatest, which of the 613 laws is the greatest commandment of them all? And, okay. and he says, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind and strength yeah. and, uh, and love your neighbours, you, uh, you know, and so on. Okay. So the, and there, there is no greater commandment than these. Right. And, and he says, essentially, Scott McKnight says, what this is about is if you want to live that out. Yeah. Follow the Sermon right. on the Mount. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like. You take this kind of ethereal love God and love your neighbor, fine. But if you really want to love God and love your neighbor, this is what you want the kingdom of God. Learn to be poor in spirit. Right. 
so so this kind of puts flesh on the bones of that kind of jesus creed statement that kind of this is what it's about yeah um, oh okay yeah that's I, I didn't realize that that's what he called the jesus creed okay yeah it took me a while because he referred to it quite a while and i was thinking i've come across that phrase before and it's in his other book the jesus creed um so let's talk about persecution yeah okay well, which is a neat segue, if I may, from what you just said, which is if you are to do the things that Jesus says in this Sermon on the Mount, you will find yourself persecuted to one degree or another. Yeah. You know? um, and so he ends the Beatitudes with blessed are those who are persecuted. Yeah. Um, because of righteousness, not just for, for being an idiot. No, <laughs> not, not, not for being a jerk. But <laughs> yeah, you don't get you don't get points for that. Uh, but you do because of righteousness, because you, you are sake, pursuing for my sake, which is interesting. Say again. He says in, in my name or per, if you're persecuted for my sake or in my name. Mm -hmm. So it's it's as ambassadors to Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And then he goes on and he said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they yeah. persecuted the prophets who were before you. And this is part of this trope that the prophet is never welcome in his hometown. You think what the prophet, you remember, I've, I've, I'm sure I've talked about this before, like a prophet is a very political function. So if you think about it, like think about the prophets in the in the Hebrew scriptures. They're always the ones who go to the kings or the priests, like the powerful people, the powerful men who are essentially saying, we've got it all locked down. We've got it all sorted. We've got our institutions, we've got our liturgies, we've got our military, we've got our money in the storehouse. We're fine. And the prophet always comes to one of those types of people and says, you think you've got it sorted, but we're here to tell you, you've forgotten the cause of the oppressed. You've forgotten the, the foreigner amongst you, the widow, right? Yeah. That's the, that is the prophetic word over and over again. And so it always, the prophetic word always assumes a center of power which has grown smug and complacent and lost its way. And prophets are never welcome in those places. Yeah. So if you stand up and give a prophecy in your charismatic church about the favorite presidential candidate or whatever, or the favorite movement towards Europe or whatever, that everybody, you know, everybody in the room already basically agrees with. So if you give your prophecy and everybody cheers for you, you, you know, you're a false prophet. It, it has nothing to do with whether you get your predictions right or not. It's right. with whether you're giving what itching ears want to hear. Itching ears. I remember you saying that in the Mark. Um, yeah. To that Mark. So here it's kind of like, listen, when you offer righteous, the way of righteous of God's way to people, when you're living this out and they don't like it, that's good. That means you're a prophet because this is what prophets do. They yeah. speak God's truth into places that have grown complacent and lost their way. Yeah. Yeah. And he's and, kind of saying, when you act in my name, when you act like I would act, uh, you will, this will, this is what will happen. And it feels to me that in some ways, while he's made these distinctions between these different groups of people, poor in spirit, the mourners, the meek and so on, actually these, this catch all at the end is about persecution in general. And, and actually I wonder whether in some ways it applies to all the groups that have gone before. Yeah. It does, doesn't it? It is kind of a catch-all. It was like, because the reason why they're meek or they're humble or they're poor is probably because somewhere along the way, the wider society yeah. voiced that on them. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to come to close, but we want to cover famous passages about Salah. 
Um, many a song has been written, certainly a children's song. You, I'm a city on a hill. Yeah, right. Um, and uh, it's hard to know what, what new there is to say about it. And I don't mean that in an arrogant sense, because of course all of us will be familiar. You know, the light in the darkness, it's, you know, that's very clear. I've often liked the idea that actually you can have the smallest amount of light and darkness cannot quench it. It's, you know, light is always more powerful than darkness. And then you, then you have the salt of the earth, the kind of the preservation idea that salt preserves. Yeah. But it also is good for the soil. There's a lot of things that those kind of things uh, allude to. Is there anything that you feel like has been helpful in your research? Or well, this is a lot of this. One of the things about the Sermon on the Mount is that it's um, it's about being of use, of good use, and like being fruitful in the world. And so the salt, like the the idea that don't be like salt that's lost its usefulness, you'll just be cast out. And eventually, you know, in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to get to the the language of Gehenna. Yeah. And uh, that's that is the language which in English we call hell, but Jesus didn't use the word hell. He was talking about a place of of utter waste, of burning rubbish, and uh, and and it's connected to here. Like, don't be like salt that's lost its saltiness. Don't be like a branch that doesn't bear fruit. Don't be like yeah. eyes that cause people to lust. Don't be like. Uh, it's always the idea like don't be a, a person in this world that leads to utter worthlessness or yeah. uselessness. And there's also a kind of a sense of like, get your own house in order. So the Sermon on the Mount is not a manifesto for how the whole world should run. Mm. It's a manifesto for how people who call themselves followers of Jesus should yeah. act. Yeah. is very different. Yeah. And the Sermon on the Mount is not a solution to poverty or to violence. It's not, it's not some kind of legal solution to the problems of poverty. It's not a solution to world violence. All it is is saying, if you call yourself my way, my followers, this is my way. Yeah. yeah. And, and if you do it, if you, if you act this way about violence or about money, you might end up being killed, by the way. It's not a solution to violence, but this is still my way anyway. Do it anyway, right? Yeah. And there's a sense of like, get your own house in order, this is how we do things. The rest of the world can look at us. You're not trying to, the city on the hill is not, it's not make the whole world one big city on a hill. It's you're a city on a hill, people are watching you. You're a light, people are watching you, right? It's that kind of idea of like, um, it's sort of passive in a way. It's not, it's not about like forcing the whole world to follow the Sermon on the Mount. It's just like, be, be something that people can look at and when they look at you make sure that it it looks good and of course to matthew's jewish audience there'll be echoes there of um the mandate given to israel which is to yeah, be distinct the world yeah. yeah you know israel was there to be good news to the world and jesus is kind of reclaiming that and saying this is still true it may be true in a different way but it's still true of you yeah um, and there may be other people not just the people of israel invited in to be part of that but this is true. This right. is true. This is a mandate. And salt and light are distinctive in their context. And also light to the whole world is, is interesting. And you're right. There is an expansion very early on to more than just Israelites. Yeah. And it yeah. is part of this. Again, it's part of this Jesus saying, look, I'm not abolishing the law. I'm fulfilling it. Go look in your own law. The Jews are the light to the whole world. Like, And this was an early Christian idea. They were trying to these Jewish believers in Jesus were trying to figure out how do we keep our Jewish heritage, like our Jewish scriptures, 
what do we make of all that? And, and, and in light of Jesus, and they're like, they go into their Jewish scriptures and they go, oh, well, yeah, look, this is a light to the whole world. So that kind of language becomes quite uh, important yeah. for early Christians. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's what I would say. Like, there's this idea of usefulness. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is a very, it is a very active text. It, yeah. You no know, evangelicals get all worried thinking about like works, righteousness and salvation by works. And you just got to park that for a while. There's a lot of doing in here. Jesus says, do your good works. Yeah. That people will see God's and, and, bless, and praise him. Right. Like yeah. there is a lot of works here. It's not about salvation by works, but there is. Yeah. Work. And, yeah. and a lot of it is be useful, be good, be fruitful to people. Don't be a cause of more evil in the world, but stop the evil in its tracks. Like it, it, it stops with you kind of thing. Well, I mean, even that happens in the bit that I'm preaching on Sunday where um, he talks about, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, this yeah. is kind of do good, even better than those religious people over there. You know, it's very active. Yeah, it's very, active. It's, it's very social. It's very outward. It's very political. It's very public. It's not a private moment in your inner heart. Yeah, it really isn't. And you'll get loads of people. Christendom will like to make the Sermon on the Mount a very private thing. Yeah, because you can't run a country according to the Sermon on the Mount, so they don't like it. Yeah, all these Christians that really want to run countries, they don't like the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> they they actively don't like it. You see them; they don't they don't use it. They don't read it. Yeah, whenever they mention it, it's to explain them why they're an exception to it. Yeah, um, but that's but that's not what's happening here. Jesus is saying this is our rule of life. This is how we're going to act, and yeah. we're going to do it together. It's a public yeah. uh, communal thing they're doing together. So in summary, what we've looked at is be blessed to be a blessing. Uh, and that's what those two bits of scripture uh, look at. And so we're going to wrap things up there. Thank you for joining us uh, today. Thank you for tuning in on uh, the various ways that we uh, broadcast this or if you're listening later on the podcast. Stephen, thank you for joining us this week. It's great been great to reconnect live again. Have a wonderful weekend and we'll see you soon. Take care. Joining us, everyone. Thank you for listening. Thanks to David Backhouse for the theme tune and to Chris Marchand for editing and all the other music. This show only exists because of support from listeners like you. If you have found something we made to be good or useful, please consider becoming a patron at the Tent Talks Patreon page or leave a good review on whichever podcast platform you use to listen. This really helps. For more information, visit www.tenttheology.com.